Today is, um, of course, September 25th. Uh, Mario and I just moved to Lawrence. Uh, uh, Monday, tomorrow will be uh, two weeks we've, we've been in Lawrence, and uh, so we love it. Uh, born and raised in New York. Um, this is my wife, Bonnie, by the way, also my girlfriend. So a uh, married man with a girlfriend. Happened to be the same person. That's terrific. And uh, we met October 2nd, 1983 at 9.30 in the morning. So next Sunday is going to be our, whatever the math is, 39th anniversary of meeting, something like that. Is that right? I do taxes, by the way, so I'll be glad to help you out. <laughs> whatever it is, anyway, so... So uh, so good to be here. And it's, uh, boy, the Sunday school is terrific. Really good. Sometimes when you hear people preach or teach, it's like, it just makes you want to teach or preach, right? And then you hear somebody really good, and I, I just want to give you my sermon outline and have you, have you bring it. You wouldn't be able to read it, though. I have a special introduction for this sermon. It's a very, very unique sermon. It's handwritten. This sermon, in the song you sang, the last song, Calvary, that's the name of today's sermon. I pastored Lighthouse Baptist Church. I'm still currently the pastor, technically. I'm kind of the lame duck uh, pastor at the moment. And today, today, they're voting on who I believe is going to be the next pastor, a man that you know, Wade Prime. He gave you this pulpit, right? This is his pulpit. And I texted uh, a couple of people, Pastor Prime being one of them. I didn't hear back from him uh, this morning. He's kind of busy, probably getting ready for something. But I thought it was a little providential that he's preaching up in what was my pulpit, and I'm preaching by in his pulpit, unplanned, on this particular day. So I'm just really thankful for it. Really see God's hand in a lot of things. And... Um, and uh, no, it's just terrific. It really is. Uh, again, we, we started... I'll give you a brief introduction. I'm not going to keep you a long time. It won't be the shortest sermon you ever heard, but it's not going to be... I don't, go, I don't like to go long. I'm usually about 30 minutes or so, something like that. How long do you usually preach? <laughs> I'm not going to run with that. I'm not going to run with that. No, but uh, your pastor is a, is a terrific man. His wife, Mickey, just really two of the nicest people. Of course, you know better than I do, but just... Two of the nicest people you ever want to meet. And I remember back in about 2010, wasn't it? 2010 we met. And, uh, and he left an indelible mark, a very good mark. I don't even want to kiddingly say it was any other kind of mark. A very good mark. And uh, people still remember you very clearly. Uh, great preaching. is just really, really good fellowship. So, so it's quite an honor to be here. And I just want to thank you for letting me come. Can I drink this water? Or did you already drink out of this? <laughs> uh, maybe I'll just get my bottle. <laughs> Did you drink out of this? No. Oh, okay. Then I'll drink out of this. No, I'm, I'm okay. I have great faith. You just confirmed that it's safe to drink with. I just never wash the cup. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But it was, uh, it was March 2nd, 1986. We were at a first church service. I, I got saved late January, early February. I didn't write it down. Uh, 1980. I was two. No, you're not going to go for that. But it was late January, late January, early February, 1980. Uh, I just I was brought up Roman Catholic, went to Catholic grade school, high school, college, and um, I just I, I went to California for a little while. While I'm gone, my brother's going to an Independent Baptist Church. He gets saved, and they started praying for me. And I've never been a, a super insightful person. I, I try to be thoughtful and prayerful and 
and follow the Spirit of God. But as far as some people are just normally philosophical, I'm not that person. But I can take you back to the time and place in California when I recognized that God was working on my heart. I didn't know it then, but, I can, but when we went back there in 1983, 2003 or so, I went back to that apartment and I took a picture of it because I remember God speaking to my heart and saying, you need something more than what you have. I knew it was in the area of religion. Didn't have any verses he could use in my heart, but I wound up getting saved, um, I don't know, uh, a few months later or so, late January, early February, 1980. And uh, shortly after getting saved, um, I, I wanted to be a fighter pilot because I figured now that I'm saved, what would be a really cool thing to do on earth? This is kind of like an all or nothing kind of thing, like going to missions. Why play games, right? And I'm not saying everybody should be a missionary, but you got one shot at this thing. So I want to be a fighter pilot. And my hearing wasn't quite so good, which is, you'll not be surprised as we talk. And um, I said, well, if I can't bomb and strafe, maybe I'll just go in the ministry. That seems pretty important. And, um, and the Lord led me into uh, the ministry and wanted to plant a church. I didn't want to take a church. Nothing wrong with taking churches by any means. I just felt led to, to start a church. We don't have very many of them in, in upstate New York of good, independent, Bible-believing, fundamental Baptist churches. And so we started. And I bring this message today. I don't mean to make it too long of an introduction. Our church started off as Calvary Baptist Church. And we were for about four months. Then I found out there was another Calvary Baptist Church in the area. We changed it to Lighthouse. But I brought this message on Calvary. And two weeks ago, I brought this same message on Calvary. I wanted to start and finish with Calvary. And I just felt, I guess, part of just being here today that I wanted to bring that same message here because it all comes back to Calvary. And uh, I'm going to reread my introduction from 1986. It, three years ago, when I knew in my heart that God called me to be a preacher of the gospel, I wondered what to name the church. It's true. I really struggled over that. I, I wasn't married. I had over one and a half years left in the Baptist Bible Institute before I would be done with my classroom training. But the question was, what would God have me name the church? And two names I was struggling with, Lighthouse and Calvary. You went with Calvary. And, uh, but whether the name of the church or not, it, it all comes back to Calvary. It really does. And there are a few things we're going to look at very quickly about Calvary. I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 27. And I'm going to read a little bit longer than usual passage and getting started. I'm not going to comment on each verse, but just as an introduction, we're talking about Calvary. We're talking about the crucifixion of Christ. And it all comes back to that. And all of time and eternity, on so many different levels, it all just comes right back to Calvary. Every facet of our lives, whether saved or unsaved, they may not know it, but it all comes back to Calvary. As a Christian, we know that every facet of our lives, we are saved, and as we, of course, walk in the light of the Word and in the Spirit of God, we realize it all comes back to Calvary. And uh, so in Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 29, I ask you to read that silently while I read it aloud. When they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him. And took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that, they, after that, they had mocked him. They took the robe off from him and put on his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were uh, come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink, mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. 
And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They have parted my garments among them, and upon my vestures did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there and set up over his head the accusation written, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Then were two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said... I am the son of God, that these also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, this man called for Elijah. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, let be, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened and many of the bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into this holy city, and appeared unto many. And now when the centurion, and they that were with him, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake, and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of being in your house. And Father, we want to lift up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, Lord, we, we thank you. Father, we thank you for sending your only begotten son to bear the penalty for our sin on the cross. Everybody turned against him. He became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Father, such love we cannot fully comprehend, but Lord, we believe it, and we know that it's true, and we are in awe of it. We ask, Lord, that you'd bless this time together. And Lord, it's been said before, but Lord, again, we pray that if there be any here today that have not yet repented of their sin and trusted Christ as Savior, Father, we pray that this would be the day of salvation. And Lord, in all things, we just want to lift up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So I, I have, actually, these are the, this is the notes, the handwritten notes from March 2nd, 1986. It's on paper. Now, if some of you may think that's a really long time ago, they had just invented paper, so it really helped a lot. And, um, but I saved, I'm kind of a, I'm not a hoarder, I'm not a huge memento person, but some things kind of stand out, and, and uh, I think I have like 85% of all the bulletins we ever did over 30, what was this, 36 years, Bond? At church, 36 years, something like that. Something like that it was two weeks ago. And, um, but this meant a lot to me. And it meant a lot to me for the same reason that the, the time of your salvation means a lot to you, the time of my salvation means a lot to me, 
how, how we came to know Christ, and he's working in our life ever since. And all these things are, are super important. And we don't have the time or the capability to remember every single spectacular supernatural moment, but our lives are filled with them. But this moment on Calvary is such an incredible moment. We're going to look at three things. And it's going to be quickly. First thing I want us to really note is that he was fully committed, and he died alone. Fully committed, and he died alone. Let's look at Matthew chapter 15. In Matthew chapter 15, well, just for time's sake, in Matthew chapter 15, verses 14 through 21, he's preaching to the multitudes. This is just a short time before. The city's filled it, and there's, this is Passover time. Hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people there. I'm not really sure. The place is packed. He's preaching to the multitude. Now, I'm sorry, the, the, the triumphal entry is just a week before Matthew chapter 15. He's preaching to the multitudes. There's 5,000 people fed. He's in Matthew chapter 21. He's welcomed by the entire city. Again, the triumphal entry, the Passover time. Welcomed by the entire city. And everybody, hallelujah, you know, like the sign here. And, and to, the, to, the, to, to the son of David, and they're laying down palm branches, and they're welcoming him. They're welcoming him. The entire part of them were there, I'm sure, very sincerely. They, they saw what he did. They knew of him. They're kind of caught up in the moment. Hey, everybody else is doing this, and so let's, let's do this. Reminds me of a time um, 15 or 20 years ago, we're at church, and I overheard these two uh, young people talking. They're probably around seven or eight years of age, and one, who I think it was Kayla, said to the other girl, who the other girl's thinking about getting saved, and Kayla said, oh, well, you got to get saved. Everybody's doing it. And, uh, you know, and I like that momentum. I think that's a, a very valid expression. Every, you ought to do it. Not because everybody else is doing it. Because, see, here's the thing about Jesus. He's so fully committed. He died alone. He didn't need the crowds in order for him to commit to complete his mission. Multitudes were healed. 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 He healed many people. 5,000 people fed in one instance. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 1 through 11, we see the city of Jerusalem is cheering for him. Cheering for him. They wanted him to be king. And when, they, when it was, that, but that's when he was giving. So when he's giving and he's kind of inferring, some people read, and overthrow the Roman government, they're like, let's go get him. This is really exciting. But then it came down to what it was really all about. And it wasn't about establishing a kingdom. It wasn't about an election. It was about his purpose. It was about his purpose as a son of God and as God the son, becoming a man took upon himself the likeness of sinful flesh and condemned sin in the flesh, and he gave it all. He died alone. Throngs of people turned viciously against him in less than one week. Verse 27 in Matthew, uh, Matthew 27, verse 20 says that, um, but the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Later on, we see that the chief priests and elders were mocking him and saying, you know, as an unbeliever, an unbelieving mind, again, I was brought up Roman Catholic. I, I knew about the Trinity and some various things, which, by the way, made it easier for me to, to embrace these things. You know, if, if you're a biblical truth, uh, I, I didn't have any Bible really growing up, but I believed in Jesus Father, Son, Holy Ghost, he's death on the cross, but I had never yet trusted Christ as Savior. And, uh, and what we see here is that with the chief priests and multitude, <laughs> I lost my train of thought, um, but he, he died alone. And so he, he's here with the, with the religious leaders, and, uh, and that, but now he has to go all, all by himself. And it's, it's incredibly difficult. 
Everybody leaves him. His, the disciples, there's a few scattered on the hill. His 12 apostles left him. Judas, after three years of fellowship, betrayed Jesus. Peter said, though all men be offended because of the yet, will I never be offended? This is Matthew chapter 26, just a, a chapter earlier. And then the rest of it, look at Matthew chapter 26, verse 35 and verse 56. Matthew 26, verse 35, Peter said unto him, though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise said all the disciples. Then in verse 53, or in, in uh, verse 56, it says, but all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. He was fully committed. He died alone, even his father. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, Jesus said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? On the cross, he says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There's never been a time in all of time and eternity that God the Father and God the Son has ever been separated in such a manner. And yet this was done in perfect order and perfect satisfaction of, of the righteousness of God and the sinfulness of man. It's the only way that it could be done. It, you could not make up a system more fair, equal, equitable, recognizing the holiness of God and the depravity of man other than the crucifixion and, the, and biblical Christianity. He fully suffered for us, and yet we, thankfully, are saved by grace through faith. Amen? Amen. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Boy, several terrific examples in, in Sunday school too. how God's working on us and, and he's bringing us out of these things. He, he, he was fully committed. He died alone. Next point is he was fully concerned. He died for us. Somebody once said to me that if you could stand at the foot of the cross, and I, there, now I, I, there's some things I would like to see. I hope that there's a, a digital video room in heaven. I want to see what it was like when the Red Sea parted. Wouldn't you love to see that? Maybe not so much when the Egyptians got creamed, but, but when the Red Sea parted, when, 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 when rocks rent, when various things happened. I'd love to see it. I'd love, there's so many things. Elijah and Elisha, the miracles they were involved in, it'd be terrific to see that. I don't want to see Calvary. I don't know if I could take that. I'm satisfied hearing about it. I would never want to see him treated in such a manner. But we embrace that this was necessary for our salvation. He was fully concerned. He was fully committed. He died alone. He's fully concerned. He died for us. A sacrifice was needed to mend a broken people, to reconcile a broken people to a fully complete God. A sacrifice was needed. And only the best sacrifice could be done. One with no imperfections. One, one that you could not over-exaggerate the value or the merit of it. Only that sacrifice would happen. And only this kind of sacrifice meets that description. That was Calvary. A sacrifice was needed. He took all our sins upon himself. Our sins he took upon himself. And that's why, you know, Christians, we, we struggle with things. We really do. We're, we're a work in progress on a lot of levels. We really are. But that's why it's so important to keep them back from mind. Wait, 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 wait. He died because of that. 
And then, you know, as a Christian, like we talked about in Sunday school a little bit, actually, you know, that refreshes our, our thinking and resets our perspective. And maybe we're wandering, maybe unintentionally, towards some bad behavior, conduct, belief, whatever it may be, just remembering. He died for that. Well, that'll wake us up. An amazing thing happened when he did die on the cross of Calvary. The Bible says in Luke chapter 23, verse 44, also in Matthew, that there was darkness for three hours. So he's on the cross for about six hours. And Jesus had already been on the cross for about three hours, and then there's darkness for three hours. Now, think about this. God was very gracious in how he, 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 he demonstrated and he confirmed that this is not like anything else. These people, they'd seen beatings before. They'd seen crucifixions before. It wasn't in huge numbers, but there was a lot of crucifixions. Well, I don't think it was ever the mainstay type of execution, but they'd seen crucifixions before. And so in, in some ways, it was kind of run of the mill. But God would not let this ever be run of the mill. There was silence for three hours. You can't keep people silent for 15 minutes. It was silence for three hours. Darkness for three hours. Again, they had seen scourgings and beatings and crucifixions. But when he bare the weight of our sin on his, on his shoulders, in his body, on the cross, that's when God said, this is not like anything else. There can be no confusion about this. So there's darkness for three hours. There is an earthquake. And, and the, the, the graves where which many of the, the saints slept arose. And when they arose, they went into the holy city after the, after, after the crucifixion. At the time of the crucifixion, at the time of this Calvary moment, Jesus is dying on the cross. At the same time, in the temple at the bottom of the hill, the temple veil is rent in half from top to bottom. Now, that temple veil, I'm told, is about, I've heard different measurements, maybe about 18 inches thick, really thick top to bottom. God said in the, in the face of the priests who were in the temple at this time, I don't want this anymore. And I can almost imagine the high priests or the priests coming out of the temple saying, you won't believe what just happened in here. And then people come down from Calvary saying, you won't believe what just happened up there. Calvary was a moment like no other moment. As a matter of fact, I'm not a huge history buff, but there's a, a fellow named Tertullian. Now, there's a couple of them in history, but this fellow named Tertullian, he's a Christian apologist. In the second century, he said this to the heathen adversaries. And I quote, At the moment of Christ's death, the light departed from the sun, and the land was darkened at noonday, which wonder is related in your own annals and is preserved in your archives to this day. It really happened. It really happened. The miracles of Calvary were just absolutely amazing. God would not let this be run-of-the-mill in any way, shape, or form. Which, you know, it's kind of interesting because God did not overwhelm us with miracles all throughout Scripture. There's really only a few special times where God would put out a wave of miracles. He had creation, of course. That was a miracle. He had the time of Moses leading uh, Israel out of Egyptian captivity. Wave of miracles, ten plagues, and so on and so forth. He had Elijah and Elisha which is at the time of the 10 northern tribes about to be destroyed. So he sends this, this unusual demonstration of, of, of miracles to confirm and authenticate the message that Elijah and Elijah were given. And then it's really kind of silent from then until the New Testament. And then the miracles start happening again, the healings and the 
Lazarus being raised from the dead, amazing. But this, this moment on Calvary is unparalleled in any way compared to any other event at any time, anywhere. So he was fully committed. He died alone. He was fully concerned. He died for us. And he really did have, he really did have our, our, uh, our names in his mind when he did this. I'm one of 13. My parents had uh, 13 children. I'm number eight. Uh, we're all boys except for three. Um, and, um, you know, it's so when you're in a crowd, is this your whole family? Is this the whole pew? Good for you. That's terrific. Um, whether it's a large family, and I don't really, actually, honestly, I didn't get in a large family. I love being in a large family. We had 13, the Maxwells had nine, Eagles had 11, Studos had seven. I remember when I went to high school, I'd meet somebody and I'd say, hey, my name's John, what's yours? He'd tell me. I remember this one guy in particular, Bill. I said, Bill, my first frame of reference. So how many siblings do you have? And they would say, two. I'd like, hmm, mother must be ill. <laughs> it's just the way I was brought up. When he died, he was fully connected. This is the last point. So fully concerned. He did die for us. When I, and I say that to say this. One of the things that really, really um, moves me about biblical Christianity, I was just before I turned 21 is when I got saved. And I'll never forget, and I don't ever want to forget, the first experiences of reading the Bible by myself. Because I, I, if you ask me prior to that, what's the most important book in the world? I'd say, oh, it's the Bible. Never read it, never really heard, maybe snippets at church, never really knew it. But I would say the Bible. Then I start going to an independent Baptist church, and they start preaching the Bible, and it just makes sense. And now you're, it's like the 600-pound gorilla in the room. And I don't mean, mean to use an unfair representation here or anything less than, than, than reverence, but it's a topic you've got to deal with. And I remember shortly after getting saved, and actually just prior to getting saved, and then getting saved, and shortly after getting saved, reading the Bible on my own, I'm thinking, I am reading the most important book that's ever been written. Amen. And God's talking to me right now. And I'm not hearing voices or seeing visions, but he's talking to me right now. And it was terrific. And so when, when this idea that God died, Jesus died on the cross, and we were on his mind, I take that very personally, and I take that very seriously. I mean something to him. I never really felt unimportant. I, I never felt like completely unnoticed. I won't say that. But, but when you say God hears you, and God thinks of you, and Jesus died for you, you have to be crazy to walk away from that unchanged. He really did die for us. And lastly, he's fully connected. He lives with us. He absolutely lives with us. I, I love the idea that, uh, that, he, 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 that we mean everything in the world to him. Christ, he's given us a new name. Amen? A new name. A new name is written down in glory. Man, I love, I'm so glad. I know this church stands for and will stand for continually. Good songs, good hymns, hymn book, terrific. Because it just doesn't get any better than that. But when you sing songs like that, sing it like you mean it. And I know you do. I'm just kind of preaching to the choir, so to speak. Amen. But a new name's written down in glory, and it's mine. You better believe it is. Amen. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, In you hath he quickened who are dead in trespasses and sins. Somebody told me years ago, you need to personalize Scripture. The best thing you can ever do is to personalize Scripture. So I have my other study Bible. Next, Ephesians 2, 1, you equals... John Horn, 
because he quickened me. And I really was dead in trespass and sins, just like you. We're really dead in trespass and sins, but he quickens us. He loves us. He died for the sins of the whole world. And he's fully connected. He lives. He's given us a new name. He's given us a new purpose. Oh, my, how exciting that is. A new purpose. You know, life goes by really fast. I'm, I'm 63, another 20 or 30 years, I'm going to be smack dab into middle age. And I'm, I'm trying to get myself mentally ready for this. Life goes by really fast. And, and we don't know when it's going to end. Uh, we really don't. But he's given a new purpose. And I like the idea, and I've, I've been saved for, I don't know, 40 years or so, whatever the math is, pastoring for 36 years. Uh, there's never been a day. There's never been a day when I deserved it. And I don't say that with any false humility. I just, I know me, and I know, but it's God, he uses ordinary people. And he's given us a new purpose, a new destiny. I know where I'd be. I have an idea of where I'd be had I not known Christ. But he gave us a new purpose. He given a new destiny. And I love the idea. You know, talk about the hope, the blessed hope. Talk about the glorious appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, but also talk about glorious home in heaven. Oh, my soul. I like life. I love this. And this is as bad as my eternity will ever be. This is as bad as it gets for me. We all have trials and struggles, and obviously, and I'm not making light of any of that, but this is as bad as it gets for us. But if you don't know Christ, this is as good as it's ever going to be. And then we head off into eternity. And it's not fun in games. It's not religion. It's, it's like the preacher said, do you have a relationship with Christ? Have you trusted Christ as Savior? And I, I'm just so thankful. I'm so thankful that it, that that Jesus saved me. I'm thankful that he gave me the right Bible. He gave me opportunity to serve. And, um, and it all comes back to Calvary. It's always been a warm place in my heart. Uh, most important point in all of time and eternity. And again, I want to ask you, I'm, I'm sure most people in this room today probably have trusted Christ. But if you haven't, I'm, I'm begging you, please consider it. Don't let the moment go by. And uh, if the Lord's spoken to your heart in any other way, then as a preacher leads us in invitation, um, let's, let's just do what the Lord would have us to do.